You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So we have a, um, a unique Sunday this morning. Bob and Catherine Carlton, who uh, are going to come up here in just a few moments, um, and are right now in this moment, I should say, Bob. So as you know, here's your microphone. As you know, this Sunday night at 6.30, well, this Sunday night, that means tonight, at 6.30, uh, we are going to have a showing of a documentary film called Peacemakers Crossing the Divide. And we're going to do it in the building. We're going to have the HEPA filters running. We're going to be masked. And we're going to watch this very well done documentary film together. And it tells the story of how Arab Christians... And Israeli Christians, Israeli Christians are coming together in a world of division and hatred where there are enemies in this enemy-making machine that we live in called the world, where brothers turn against brothers, sister against sister, neighbor against neighbor, where there's ethnic superiority and various forms of racial supremacy and ethnic supremacy throughout the world. We know what's going on in the U.S., but throughout the world where we're told who we're supposed to love, where we're given categories that tell us who we belong to and who we do not. We need stories of reconciliation. We need stories that are hopeful, that are truthful. We need to know what it means to be a peacemaker. Because too many of us get confused between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Being a peacemaker costs us something. Being a peacekeeper costs us nothing at all. Being a peacemaker requires that we enter into the hard things. Being a peacekeeper requires that we don't speak if it could disrupt the status quo. Being a peacemaker is who Jesus called us to be. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are peacekeepers. The problem in society a lot of times is we don't know how to, may, how to be a peacemaker, we don't know how to make for peace. And in a conflict of Palestine and Israel where governments believe that there's a side to be taken, where Christians read the scriptures in such a way that there's a belief that we have to fall on a side, we often forget that we have brothers and sisters on all sides. And so this film, this documentary, reminds us that we have brothers and sisters on all sides, and that maybe it's not about a side after all, and that's something I think we can learn together, and that we try to learn together as a church, so Bob, Catherine, Catherine, Bob, church, church, Bob, Catherine, um, so Bob, Catherine, tell us a little bit about you, why did you decide to make this documentary film, why, why Israel, Palestine, how did you even get there, why did you even make this film? Well, it's a long story, and I'm not going to tell it all, but it began when Bob and I were teaching school. We were primary school, elementary school teachers living in Israel, working at the international school, and we lived there for two years back in the mid-80s. And during that time, we had a lot of opportunity to meet Arabs and Jewish. Uh, there was no wall. We could freely go anywhere throughout the land, and uh, we began to just sense a burden to communicate what we believe God put on our hearts was his peace plan. There's always so much talk about peace plans, 
and none of them have ever really amounted to much of anything in the long run. But his peace plan is Jesus. And so we just, when we left Israel, we left with a burden to communicate his peace plan. And so over the years, we had many opportunities to uh, become uh, skilled in making films and communicating messages by that medium. And eventually, the Lord led us to move back over to Jerusalem, and we lived there for three years in uh, 2014 to 2017. And during that time, we actually produced the film, which you will hopefully come and see tonight. Good, good. So what did you learn about the violence that was taking place between Arabs and Jews? Uh, I know there's Arab Muslims. There's, there's like, like talk through the, uh, the violence that you uncovered, that you saw, that you didn't uncover. We all see it. How, what, what did you see? Well, and we, what made when we this lived so there during the three years, we saw not firsthand necessarily, not in our immediate surroundings, but very close by, uh, examples of that violence. And it was really weird because sometimes where we were living, um, I would be just sitting and having quiet time or something, and I would hear all of these helicopters flying over. And I knew what that meant. That meant that there had been an incident somewhere. And sure enough, a few hours later, the news would start talking about the latest incident. So violence was always there on the radar screen as a very good possibility. But I would say overall, while we were there, it was relatively peaceful because uh, shortly afterwards, there was another outbreak, uh, which became a relatively short war, but still a lot of people dying. And uh, there's just, uh, that's the way people seem to want to handle the conflict is through violence. The other thing that was really amazing, just in day-to-day -day living, sometimes you'd have to pray and say, Lord, is it okay for me to go to the market today? Because really, incidences, bombings, killings, knifings, buses being you know blown up, were happening at, at the kind of rate where you really had to think about and pray about how you lived your life. And what we learned from a lot of our friends was you cannot live life in fear. You really have to let the fear go away and know that you're living your life being led by the spirit of the living God. So how did you encounter then Arabs and Jews? How did you encounter two groups of people, and I'm using that, categorically in the way the world talks about this, right? Who genuinely are enemies of one another. Uh, this is one of my favorite. You know, those of you who know Fred, all you got to do is ask him if he wants to have a cup of coffee, and 100% of the time, he will say yes. Well, Word. what we found out in the Middle East is it's the same thing. Both Arabs and Jews, Israelis, you know, and it doesn't matter whether they were Muslim, Christian, Jews, whatever they're... Their heritage is very much a hospitality heritage. And so my friends from China know that as well. You, you know, as you travel in Asia and in the Middle East, doors open wide. And, you know, there's even a saying amongst the Bedouin, you, you know, tonight 
you are my friend and my neighbor. Tomorrow, you are my enemy. So, you know, we found that just plain sitting down with people, and if you begin to ask people to tell you their story, the doors are flung open wide. Some of those stories would make us weep. Some of those stories were stories of anger and passion. But I think you're the same way. If somebody came up to you and said, tell me your story, you'll give them time. And so really, that's what it was about. It was an opportunity. And this film is an opportunity for people to tell their story. Yeah, so you, you guys, I think you guys entered into that context as guests. And I think it's important, we talked about this as a church, anytime we enter into someone else's cultural story, their ethnic story, um, even their own personal story, that anytime we ever enter into that, we enter into that as guests. It's like walking into someone else's garden. Someone else's cultural story, their own narrative, their own hurt, their own pain, um, regardless of how that is associated, but their own story as a whole, we, we're walking into someone else's garden. And, and, and I like that imagery because it reminds me that I can't just pull up the weeds just because I see weeds and because I can, right? But that's sometimes how we are. We have this sense of entitlement sometimes where we walk into someone else's story and we decide we want to get their story right, right? Like we want to correct their story or that we have to affirm their story in order for their story to be true. And I think a lot of times if we enter into another person's story with the mindset that I'm entering into someone else's garden and that I'm just a guest here, they flung open the gate and I get to see the beauty and the wonder that is their story, that is their culture, that is their that is their narrative, that is their experience of, in their bodies, how they live and how they are in their location, and I receive that as guests, then I am sometimes, I think more than not, treated as one. And I think that's what you've done in this film, is you have, it's a film of hospitality, where two people, two descriptions of people, who are told to hate each other, whose conflict is tied up in land, whose conflict is tied up in politics, whose conflict is tied up in religious ideology that is political, now find a reason to belong to each other. How did that come about? How, like, what, what, what's, what's the price for an Arab Christian to pay? What's the price for an Israeli Christian to pay? Well, there's a high price to pay for walking in reconciliation. I think that's true everywhere. I think that's true in our own country for people who are really committed to walking together in, in reconciliation and, 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 and racial unity and, and harmony with one another, there is a price to pay, and it's usually coming from your own community mm. who don't understand you, yep. who think you are maybe even betraying them. You know, you're going over to the other side. It, it depends on how deeply embedded uh, the, uh, the communities are within themselves, uh, which in the case of Israel and Palestine, they are very deeply embedded in their own stories. And so if somebody chooses to go across that divide, they are oftentimes seen as collaborators with the enemy and can be rejected by their own community. And, and it's very painful. And many people will start the journey of reconciliation and will end up dropping out because they're not willing to pay the price. So it, there is a high price to pay, but it's, what God is calling, we believe, all of us uh, to be willing to pay that price because we have Jesus as our model. Uh, we could never emulate the price that he paid, but we need to be, I believe, willing to make those kinds of sacrifices to pay the price, to walk as reconcilers and walk in as peacemakers with, 
even with our enemies. You know, this film's title is actually Peacemakers Crossing the Divide. And that's an important thing to remember, you know, because it's a historical divide, it's a linguistic divide, it's a cultural divide. And yet, isn't that exactly what Jesus has called us to be and to do? To cross those divides and allow his spirit and allow him really to move across those divides. And like Catherine said, it's not easy because a lot of times our families, going back for many, many generations, have taught us who we are and who we are not. Mm. Them mm. and us. Mm. It's interesting because in society there's an us versus them. But in the kingdom of God, it should be an us for them. Mm. And that's a totally different way of being in the world. Now, I got one last question for you, and then if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 5, because I want to offer a little bit of a homily in light of all of this together. Um, and I didn't ask this in first gathering, but I, but I want to ask this now. Uh, to, the, to the Israeli Christian, to the Messianic Jew, um, is their Arab Christian brother still an Arab, or is their Arabness just put in a different category, different, different, different kind of layer in identity. Like, in other words, we live in a society that wants to be blind to things. Mm-hmm. We like, so we, we over-spiritualize Christianity. We'd say, well, we're, we're living out of our baptismal identity as if all of a sudden all of the distinctions of our bodies mm-hmm. are done away with. But that's actually not how the world works, and it's not even how the church is supposed to work. 1 Corinthians 12, if you're, if you're interested. Galatians 3, verse 26, 27, if you're interested. How's that handled there? Well, I think overall it's handled really well for, for those believers that do recognize the importance of being together with their brothers and sisters who are not of the same group that they are. And I think there is a recognition of the importance of who you are as your individual ethnic group um, that is certainly recognized, the languages are appreciated and certainly within the Messianic Jewish community, there is tremendous emphasis on, on their culture and their heritage. Mm. So I think when it's done well, then there's a mutual respect for one another's culture and not a desire to make us all look alike and think alike, but more to just have us be willing to be who God created us to be, but walk together uh, as one in Jesus. Probably my favorite example of exactly what we're talking about is we had an opportunity to spend some time with students uh, about the same age as you and a little bit younger, you know, who were Arab students, followers of Jesus, and Israeli Jewish followers of Jesus, students coming together. And when they would do their worship songs, it was always fun because there'd be one song in Hebrew, one song in Arabic, one song in Hebrew, one song in Arabic. And it wasn't just the Israelis singing in Hebrew. The Arabs were also singing in Hebrew. And the same with the Israeli kids. They would be singing these songs of worship unto the Lord in Arabic and in Hebrew. And it was such a blast because, you know, one of the Arab boys would whip out a drum and start playing his Dorbeki. And the next thing you know, girls are up dancing together, you know, and it didn't matter whether they were Israeli or Arab. You know, they would dance these circle dance and realize that there were things from their own culture that were really the same in the other culture. And how much they had that was alike that tied them together 
And Jesus was really like the rope that mm. really helped to tie that knot. Mm. And so it's a beautiful thing to see when you can see them overcome that and be one. Mm. That's good. Because they're enemies in the world, right? They're supposed to be enemies, but yet because of the love of God in Christ manifest in each one of them, they've become family in Christ and now unity's been found and reconciliation is happening. What I love about this film, there's a lot you'll take away from this film, and it's up to you how, you know, what I love about art is you get to interpret it in a way that makes sense to you in light of the art that has been presented. Um, and I've got to tell you all, it's a beautiful film. It's really a well-done film. What I love about the film is it's about enemies becoming family. It's about enemies becoming friends. And not in some weird, cheesy way like you see in movies where you know two people are just they're bullying each other or they're fighting each other but these are people who because of geopolitical realities religious realities ideological realities are supposed to be against one another who find jesus in their own bodies and in their own place and in their own land and through christ they find a common bond a kinship of love and i think about god and how god looks at us and i think about paul and what paul who ironically was a terrorist. Remember Paul was a terrorist? Remember how before he found Jesus on the road to Damascus? He was an ideologically driven, politically driven, religious. He was a terrorist. He went around and he persecuted Christians simply because they were. He was charged by his leadership, his government, political, and religious leaders to go out and persecute Christians. And, and in some cases, kill Christians. So when you, read the, when you read this New Testament and you read the Apostle Paul, legitimately, like according to the Homeland Security Code of the United States of America, Paul would be categorized when he was Saul as a terrorist. And then Jesus has this way of liberating and redeeming even a terrorist like Paul. And that is an otherworldly story, isn't it? It's a story we have a hard time imagining. And what I appreciate about this film is this film embodies that story. And what I appreciate about that story is that story comes directly from Scripture. Because Paul, that guy, when writing to a church that was struggling to get along, because Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians had now come together, the Jewish Christians were exiled from Rome, they now come back, the churches that were started looked very different, and they were struggling to get along, they were struggling to be brothers and sisters. Paul writes this letter to the Romans. And he tries to tell them about what it means to be the people of God. And I want to read to you Romans chapter 5. So Paul is kind of going through and he talks about Abraham as the father of many nations. Everybody say many nations. nations. Notice it's not just one nation. He goes on, he says, verse five, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace. Shalom. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also through him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, I like it when Paul has these like, he can't stop, like he's like, and this, oh, oh yeah, and this, oh yeah, and this. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces char proven character, and proven character produces hope. Verse 5, listen to this, y'all. This hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who God has given us. Say, God's love has been poured into my heart. Say it. 
God's love has been poured into my heart. So this idea of loving enemies, which Jesus commanded, right? He said, love your enemies. It wasn't a suggestion. It was an actual command of Jesus. This, this ability to love enemies is not in our own strength. So if you say to yourself, or if you say to anybody, I can't do it, you're right. I can't love enemies. But with God, what did Jesus say? With men, this might not be possible. But with God, somebody finish it? All things are possible. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into the heart of God's people to love enemies. That is a command of Jesus. That is an otherworldly command. And we see that in this film, but we read this in this text. Because look at the where Paul goes. He doesn't just stop there. He says, for while, verse 6, we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Say, I was the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, and I like that much more than because Paul's saying, and even greater, which should tell us something about the gospel. Since we've now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath for if... While we were what? Enemies. Enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? You know why Jesus could command us to love enemies? Because he knew that God would rather die for his enemies than kill them. Because the God of heaven and earth, who had the whole world against him, saw the image of God in every one of us and would have rather saved us and rescued us from our enemy-making ways and our violence and our fears and our othering and our notions of supremacy and who's better than and deliver us into the life of God where enemies can find love where enemies can become friends, and where friends become family. And I know that this, hard, this text is hard because a lot of times some of us would say, well, I mean, I was never really an enemy of God. I never really shook my fist at God. I mean, some of us may have before we came to know Jesus. But the biblical view of the world is that when we live our lives in a way that is against the beauty and the purpose and the goodness of God, we begin to toe a line of making ourselves an enemy of God. And yet God doesn't look at us in light of those things. And God sees us and says, I will pursue you. And I will pursue you in love. And I will redeem you and rescue you in love. And so then God comes to us, right? We know the story. God comes to us, becomes one of us, and submits himself to the worst our society has, which is we kill enemies. And so he submits himself to, the, to death on a cross as an, as, a, as an execution of the state just to save us all. And I know, I imagine in you, especially coming off this last weekend, I imagine this creates all sorts of tensions. But that is the gospel. The good news is that all of us can be liberated into the way of God. The good news 
is that we don't have, we, say we, we, the, the church, we don't have to participate in the enemy-making machine of society. We don't have to constantly draw the lines in the sand and other people and demonize people and dehumanize people because we're people who are supposed to see the image of God in people, right? We see the image of God in them and we know, we know that when we harm someone made in the image of God that we are harming God, God's self. And we can see. And the thing is, even if we can't see, even if we're tired of seeing, and I don't know about you, but I'm tired, I'm tired of seeing. Even if we're tired of seeing, the good news of the gospel is that the fruit of the Spirit is love. That God has poured out God's love inside of your heart. So when you can't, God can. We just have to choose. Sometimes we have to learn. Learn how to be peacemakers and resist the impulse to be peacekeepers. To learn how to following the suffering servant into the suffering of others and serve as a people of love. That's the call of the church, which is why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Because the distinctive mark of Christianity in any society is going to be love of neighbor and love of enemy. For while we were sinners, Christ rescued us. And that changes how we live. And you can and I can live this way. But we're going to need each other to do that. And that's why I'm grateful for films like this. I'm grateful for brothers and sisters who create films for us to see what peacemaking looks like. Because I could talk about it all day. But it would be better for us to see but interestingly enough every week we gather and we come to the table we see peacemaking we see how jesus in the bread that is the body and the cup that is the blood made peace between us and god and made peace between us and our neighbors it's like ephesians 2 says the wall that separated us had been torn down and we've been made one in christ I want you to take a moment. I want you to look around the room. Everybody look around the room. Just look around the room. I like that some of y'all are waving. Like, this is awkward. Hello. What brings the people together who society says ought not belong is Christ. The work of discipleship is learning how to live life together outside of a room on any given Sunday. The reminder of that discipleship is the bread and the wine. And each week we gather here as a church, we come to the table, and we remember at the table we don't get to choose who comes. Christ has already chosen and all are welcome to the table, including me. See, when we come to the table, we remember that no matter where I've been and no matter what I've done, no matter what I think makes me worthy of the table, Christ has already said I'm worthy and that I'm welcome even at the table. That my identity is not bound in my worthiness or worthlessness, but my identity is found 
and the worthiness of Christ who's looked at us and said, I know you best, and yet I love you most, and I welcome you to my table. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.